Hey folks, before we jump into this backstitch conversation with Victoria Gertenbach, I did just want to catch you up to speed with someone in the Seamside family. You know, many of you have listened to my conversation with Lou Gardner back in episode six. And in that conversation, we talked about how she was diagnosed with cancer back in 2020, had bounced back and apparently had made a really good recovery. But recent tests have shown that the cancer's come back and it's now in her adrenal glands and in her brain. And so now she's faced with quite a bit of medical expenses, and I know that she could use our support. So if you got a couple spare bucks or pounds or quids or euros or whatever you may have, I know she'd really appreciate any support that you could lend her way. I'll put a link in the show notes to Lose GoFundMe. Thank you so much. I know she appreciates your generosity. As Seamside grows up, one of the things I'm most excited about is this idea of the backstitch episode where we get to go back and revisit artists and see what's transpired in their lives and in their work over the last year. And so in this conversation, I sit down with Victoria Gertenbach, who you probably listened to in episode four. If you haven't, I would highly recommend you check out that conversation. Victoria is a textile artist based in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and who draws a lot of inspiration from the giant capacious Amish barns of the area and works a lot with natural dyed fabrics and found materials. In this conversation, we talk about a recent collaboration project that she did inspired by Tara Glastonbury called In Conversation. We talk about the Amish mud sails, which I had never heard of. And she shares with us the idea of a stitch journal and what's that meaning for in her practice right now. So I hope you enjoy this chance to reconnect with Victoria in this episode of Backside, Backstitch. I did it again. Victoria, thank you so much for joining me here this morning. Hi, Zach. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. I can't believe it's been a year already. I can't either. It went very quickly. What do you What do you find yourself working on these days? Um, several different things. I am working uh, right now. I've been working for the last month a lot on a quilt for an ex- exhibition that uh, Tara Glastonbury from uh, Stitch and Yarn put together. So it's gonna be in Australia. And um, she took uh, six, I think, Australian quilters and each of those invited a non-Australian quilter and started to have a conversation with each other. So you're in pairs and I'm with Tara and you start to have a conversation with each other. And then you each do a quilt based on something that came out of that conversation. So a lot of hand quilting in this one that I'm doing, and it's it. I'm loving it, but it's going really, really slow. <laughs> so I got to get it done. Um, yeah. So that's kind of been on the forefront and on the back burner. Well, hold on just a second before we get to the back burner, because I got a front burner question for you. Okay. <laughs> so you had this conversation with Tara. Yeah. And what what were your what were your themes? What did y'all end up settling on in conversation that you decided to work with in your pieces? Well, when she first contacted me, she said that um, the two things that she really hoped that we we included in whatever we wound up doing was uh, using reclaimed fabrics, which we both have a tendency to do already, and hand stitching, hand quilting, which we both do a lot of. So that was cool. And then on my end, I threw out some ideas based on that and things that I'm interested in. I feel like I kind of hijacked it. I was... uh, you know, I wanted to talk about memory and, and how cloth holds memory. And I think we had talked about that last year, you and I. So that's always a kind of a continuing curiosity of mine. And when we got together, we talked about um, 
those things and and uh, the different marks on cloth and how did they appear and what's the backstory and she had some stories and I had some stories and we talked about um, mending and the holes and who owned things before and how we could add to that all kind of familiar things for me but things that I am not done delving into and trying to fish out and explore so that was great. Victoria, so much of, you know, when you cross my mind ever since we last talked, you know, you wander in and out of my mind from time to time. And I always think of you in a barn. I always picture you walking around a barn and checking out the, the boards and the frames, making sure everything's steady. That's funny. Well, I've been in some, not really barns lately, but I've been going, my husband and I have been going, this is the season in Lancaster County for um, Amish mud sales. And do you know what a mud sale is? Never heard of it. <laughs> it's a big thing around here this time of year. And it's, they call them Amish mud sales. It's really a mud sale, but a lot of Amish participate in them. So that's kind of how it got lumped together. And they're usually fundraisers for local volunteer fire companies. And they have them all over every weekend. There's different ones. And you go to them and there's these auctions going on all around you some outside some inside a lot of quilt auctions are happening farm equipment's happening crafts and and it's you see all the amish buggies and the horses are unhitched and they're all around these kind of long flatbed trailers eating their oats or hay or whatever they're eating and so i haven't been in any barns lately but i've been i've been doing that going to mud sales and are they called mud cells because of the time of year? Yes, because of the okay. time of the year. The ground is muddy. And um, yeah, you can kind of get mucked up walking around. But it's it's so interesting. And it's kind of this organized chaos. And my husband, I, even though living here all these years, I've never been to any. This is the first year that we've, we've gone to them. And it's just so interesting. They Everybody seems to know what's going on. And we're just sort of standing there like... <laughs> I have no clue. There, you got the hibbit 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 auctioneer over here, and then one doing it over there, and one behind you, and everybody's going left and right, and there's just stuff everywhere. But it's it's really interesting. The the um the uh, the quilt auctions have been kind of a sad eye opener, though. Um, you see these big quilts, you know, hand pieced, hand quilted. Some of them, some machine quilted, but. Going for, you know, $200, pink size, three. Yeah, it's kind of painful to, to watch. Yeah. Did you pick up any quilts? No, thought about it. I'm kind of in that weird, like, gee, I kind of want them. And at the same time, oh my gosh, this hurts so bad that it's going for so little. And then on the other hand, I really like a deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could pay them double and still get a deal. Good, yeah. <laughs> so far, just watching. Well, you'll be an old pro in no time. Yeah, ne by next year. Yeah, definitely. One thing I'm curious about, Victoria, is that we've done a few of these backstitch episodes by now, right? And it's so interesting to think about the shifts that happen in our work and mm -hmm. in our lives, but in our, in our creative process over the course of time. And a year is such a good snapshot of how change can happen. What I'm interested to know, Victoria, is when I scroll through your Instagram feed these days, Mm-hmm. If I keep going till I get back to when you and I last talked, mm -hmm. it seems like your colors have intensified over time. Mm -hmm. Would yeah. you say that's true? Yeah, definitely. I started after, soon after we started talking 
last that we last talked i started doing these stitch journals i had found a couple of books that i had made out of fabric and stuck in a drawer i'd made them probably about a year before i found them and i'd completely forgotten about them and i i ha must have had some idea of what i wanted them to be back then but i couldn't remember anymore and i must have stuck them in a drawer because i didn't like them and when i found them I, I liked them because I didn't have any preconceived ideas about them anymore and I wasn't disappointed that they didn't live up to that so I kind of saw them with fresh eyes and they were all in the the kind of off-white neutral feed sack things that I have been using a lot of and then previous to when we were talking last I had just started painting fabric and doing little tiny textile pieces that I was calling a, from a ragged series. I was exploring brighter, more saturated colors that are in this area. And so then I started doing stitch journals in those painted fabrics. And that I think is what you're seeing on my feed. A lot of this hand painted fabric, really exploring bright colors. And now the last month or so I've kind of backtracked and I'm back to the whites, but I'm going to keep kind of going back and forth, back and forth between the two. It's just dazzling looking um, at your color palette these days. Thank it's you. Beautiful. And we need the, the whites and the creams, too, to balance all that out. Yeah, I mean, in definitely. My I can't live completely in one world or the other. I think I'm really affected by seasons, too. I know in the past, in looking at my work, I have a tendency to go back to the neutral whites and off-whites during the winter months and in the summer ramp it up with color. Hmm, I've never thought about my creative processes in a seasonal way before. That'll be something to ponder. Yeah, it's it's interesting and it makes sense for me because I'm I'm very I think I'm just absorbing the color palette that's around me and wanting to play with that and yeah. I remember one of the things that we dedicated part of our first conversation to Victoria was the role of social media in mm -hmm. the life of the artist and the life of the maker and how it can be a tricky thing to show up as a real and authentic and whole person in as much as we want to on social media. How are you feeling about social media these days? I feel pretty much the way that I felt about it before. I do find myself getting kind of fatigued by it. At the same time, I really am, am grateful for the human connection that I can find on there, especially human connection that shares similar interests because my, I don't know if a whole lot of people around physically where I am get me, but on social media, I feel like, oh yeah, people get me and I get them. It's kind of like you, you found your, your tribe of people and that's your family and that's good. But the need to constantly kind of check and respond and post and it can get draining. So trying to find that balance is always a bit of a struggle. Yeah, I just took a, a week off last week from Instagram. How you know the reason? Oh, well, it, it, the day felt a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. The day felt a little more spacious. Mm -hmm. you, know? you really put a lot of yourself out there. I mean, you really do. I'm like a drop in the bucket compared to what you're doing. I would say my, my experience is definitely mostly positive, too. And I, I am truly grateful for it. And I've met wonderful people through it. It's just keeping that. I think... I'm trying these days to stay more present in the actual moment. And when I go on social media, I kind of get pulled away from 
the present moment. And next thing I know, I've spent an hour lost in another world, which has been a pleasant world to be lost in. But I, then I've got to kind of pull my, it's a rabbit hole for me. One thing kind of leads to another and I can get lost in those mazes of tunnels very, very quickly and completely forget about being present in this moment. So it's a continual sort of practice of coming back and recentering and being aware of my surroundings and the sounds and the stillness. I'm, I'm trying to incorporate that more in my daily life. Well, in a way, it's kind of like what you're saying reminds me of what so many mindfulness teachers talk about that when you're, if you're practicing a moment of mindfulness and you're just trying to, you know, follow your breath or whatever you're focusing on, invariably you're going to have a thought come up and interrupt that focus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we use it as an invitation to recenter, right? right? Cause it's not that the thought is bad, no. but, um, yeah, it's, just, it's an invitation to come back to the present moment. You want to be, when that thought comes in, you don't want to fight it. You don't also want to necessarily follow it. You just want to witness it. And be aware that you're witnessing it. So sometimes I'm scrolling on social media and I'm trying to be aware. <laughs> I'm scrolling on social media. <laughs> there you go. There you go. What's coming down the pike for you, Victoria, that you're excited about? What kind of projects interested in exploring? I am working on putting together a really comprehensive tutorial for these stitch journals, both the, the kind of plain rustic ones and the painted ones. So I hopefully can get, I've kind of taken a break from that as I'm working on this other quilt project, get back to that, finish that up and been playing around and want to continue to explore some what I'm calling organic stain making. So it's basically kind of kind of echo dyeing, but echo dyeing in a really cur curious, playful, completely unscientific way. <laughs> what does that look like for you? Well, it can look like lots of things. It can look like um, uh, laying fabric out and putting different objects on and letting it just sit for weeks and see how those objects interact with the fabric and the elements and what kind of marks they make. It can be laying things in on, t in on top of a pile of dirt with rocks on them and see what happens over time. It can be boiling them in a mixture of like iron water and aluminum and it's kind of called this dirty pot method, but I'm not doing it the way you're supposed to do it because that would be too, I don't know, structural for me. Um, I'm just playing with different techniques that I'm learning about and exploring, but putting my own twist on it. Some things you can you can uh, make these stains within a matter of hours or a matter of weeks. It depends on what you're doing and what you want to do. And I'm coming, I you know, I hang this stuff up on the line, and it just looks like a lot of dirty rags. <laughs> There's this one picture I saw that you posted that is this beautiful image. The colors are so just like vibrant and saturated, and it's a it's, it looks like an old table linen that okay. has some cutout pieces that have been dyed brown. Maybe oh, it was like sure. they were napkins, old vintage napkins. Yeah. yeah. But hung out in the sunlight and the sunlight yeah. pouring through it. Those were rusted. Yeah. I yeah. wrapped them around a rusty pole and yeah. Some people would look at that and see pretty and other people look at that and think, oh. And the last batch of things that I did on these vintage napkins really do look like 
dirty, dirty rags. And I'm thinking, what are the neighbors thinking as I'm hanging? You know, I'm just like every day I'm hanging things up and then I'll let them out there to weather for a couple of weeks and take them down and do something else to them and put them back up on the line and let them weather. And it's just this constant display of dirty rags. But when I look at them, I see that kind of patina that's on the barns and the silos and the, and that's exciting to me. I love weathered cloth. And when I see an actual piece of tarp or, or, you know, cloth that's been left outside to cover something up and I just see the, the dirt and the age of, you know, just, I don't know what am I trying to say? Again, the patina, I keep saying the patina, but I don't have a better word for it. That's come of it being used and being out in the elements and being stained. And I'm fascinated by that. So I'm trying to recreate that in a kind of more speed up, sped up way that you know, than I can play with. Now, have you ever buried any fabric like Emma Freeman does? Yeah, I did a quilt. It, it was an attempt at echo dyeing. Echo. I always say echo. It's eco. I always say echo dying. <laughs> eco dying. Jeez, a little. I'll never get that right. Eco dying. It was that I had done maybe ten years ago, and I thought I thought these things. It had come out kind of neat. I thought all these different pieces of fabric that I had eco dyed, and then I sewed them all together into a quilt top, and it was but ugly. It was so so ugly. So I thought, okay, I'm going to bury this because years before that, I'd been to a quilt show and I wish I knew the artist who had done this, but they had taken pieces of silk, mostly I think it was silk, and they buried it in, in, in a, like a, the bed of a creek for several months. It was three to six months. And when they unearthed them, there were holes eaten in it and there were stains of like leaching on there and it was fascinating and they did this amazing quilt so i thought i'm gonna bury this butt ugly quilt top that i have done and i'm gonna you know bury it in the fall and i'll dig it up in the spring and when i went to dig it up there's nothing there at first and i keep digging and then i find a piece of thread with one little piece of fabric on it. I mean like tiny piece of fabric. And I realized the thread was polyester and I remembered I had run out of cotton thread and I had had some polyester in the same color so I switched to that. Everything else was cotton and except for that tiny little piece smaller than a postage stamp of fabric hung to that piece of polyester thread. Everything else had been eaten. <laughs> I didn't realize I had such intensely good soil because it's, it's pretty clayish and because I have a lot of earthworms, I don't know. But bugs or something ate all that, that entire quilt top. It was probably, you know, like four and a half or five feet by five feet quilt top and gone. So I don't bury things. Like she's gutsy to bury things. I, I just lay things on top of the dirt and put rocks on them. I want to be able to see that it's still there. That's incredible. That really, and, and that's in the wintertime. Too, it was right? in the winter. It was I buried it in the fall, dug it up in the spring. Yes. So there, imagine what would happen in the summertime. I mean, I know. <laughs> it snapped it, up. You know, I, yeah, that was crazy. I still have never gotten over that. And I had done this whole blog post where I was, you know, showing that I'm burying this quilt and I'm going to show you all what it looks like in the spring. And I'm thinking it's going to be. <laughs> and I never did a follow up post because there was nothing. You should to show us. I should have. I should have. You want to see that polyester? It was literally a just 
I don't even think it was more than like a yard or two long of polyester thread and that was it. But I'm so thankful that I had that piece of polyester thread or I would have thought I had gone completely crazy and had buried it in some other location, even though I knew exactly where I buried it. It was, yeah. Well, that gives me a lot of hope with, with my burial quilts because I like to think that those disintegrate and return to the earth they easily. They will, <laughs> as long as you don't use polyester, they will. Noted. Noted. Yes. Well, Victoria, I think we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for coming back and spending some time with us a year later. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you, Zach. It was a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you'd like to pay it forward, I'll put a link to Lou Gardner's GoFundMe down in the show notes. I know she'd appreciate whatever you could send her way. Thank you very much, and I'll see you next time right here on Seamside.